Hey everyone, welcome to Clearview Community Church. We are one church in four locations, helping you become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Have you ever had a conversation that you understood nothing in? It's like when I go to the mechanic with our vehicle and they give me a few options. They could explain it three, four, five times, and I'm not going to understand. You might know that I really like hockey, and I coach a minor hockey team in my hometown as a volunteer. So I'll come home and I'll talk about how the goalie used effective C-cuts and T-pushes and had a pretty poor RVH utilization. Or in the offensive zone for the forecheck, the F1 was really effective in the lower corners, below the hash marks, but our F3 got caught in the neutral zone, allowing for a winger to wheel out of the zone. And don't get me started, but when the defenseman isn't able to box out, the one player who was able to rip it bar down. And then, of course, there's the referees, who struggled to keep a strong sight line because they were unable to get into the half-piston position in proper time for the breakout. Maybe you speak the language of hockey, which, if you're wondering, that's what I just did. But maybe you don't. And the truth is that every subculture in our communities has a language, a way of speaking. And some people understand, and some don't. For many people, the church is a completely foreign culture. If you've ever visited a church for the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time, you might have felt that way, feeling unsure about what to do, what to say, where to go, and things like that. Now, at Clearview Community Church, we make an effort to work against that feeling that people can have. We strive to make a place where people feel comfortable, they feel welcomed, and they have the feeling that they are welcomed home in a place to belong for every person. And this leads us to continue to communicate in our sermons and in our conversations in ways that are faithful to the Bible and do so in ways that are relevant to someone who wouldn't necessarily call themselves a Christian. This attitude of communicating the truth of Jesus to our communities in a way that is relevant is inspired from 1 Peter 3, 15-16, where it says, "...in your hearts revere Christ as Lord." Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do so with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now here, Peter is giving those who call themselves followers of Jesus, the church today, to be ready to explain why you have placed your faith, your trust, and your hope in Jesus and to do so with gentleness and respect. It's a tough command because often, if you're like me, you can become or feel defensive or uncomfortable with some of those conversations. Perhaps you feel nervous about sharing your faith because you aren't quite settled on how it all works out. And Peter's encouragement to us is to spend the time thinking and praying and arriving at the conclusions of why. Why do I follow Jesus? Why do I believe in the Bible? Why do I let Jesus be in charge of my life when there are so many other options out there? We are proposed the challenge to know why. So how does someone who identifies as a follower of Jesus prepare themselves to give an answer for the hope that they have? It's really a good question. And I think first we have to understand that our world has changed. People's assumptions have changed. Their experiences, they vary widely and their convictions are more numerous than before. And it's probably unrealistic to assume that every person you meet thinks that the Bible is worth trusting or that Christianity is true. And secondly, we have to learn how to engage with our culture. 
What I mean by that is that we can speak the language of our communities. We can interpret the timeless truths of the Bible and share them to our friends, our families, and our neighbors in ways that are accessible and understandable. If you've heard me teach a few times, you might have heard me say that my goal is to make the gospel of Jesus simple and accessible as a pastor. I don't want to make it simple and accessible because I don't think people can handle it in its fullness, but rather I want to make sure that I remove any unnecessary roadblocks or unnecessary boundaries to people hearing and understanding and receiving the depths of the love of Jesus in their life. Now, Jesus was a master at understanding these two principles, that the world has changed and that there's a deep need to communicate to the culture. And that's why I think he insisted on, tearing, on telling parables or stories to teach spiritual kingdom principles to those who could hear. First, he told these stories because the average literacy of his communities was low. He simply couldn't write a book, send it to the publisher, and then go on a talk show to promote it. Instead, he told stories to a culture that taught its most important things to each other through stories. Even his stories were full of rich and illuminating illustrations that spoke to the conditions that people lived in. Now picture this. Jesus is around a group of people that live in an agriculture-based society and marketplace. They had all seen a farm, they'd visited a farm, they'd stayed at a farm, potentially worked at one. It was a part of life. And then even further, his audience were heavily Jewish. And under the Jewish sacrificial system, they understood the spiritual importance of animals in that system. So then Jesus tells them a story in Luke 15, verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and they say, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who does not need to repent. It's a story about a sheep and a shepherd, and everyone listening would have known, at least known a shepherd, or seen a sheep around, and they could easily apply the story to their lives and understand the value of one sheep to that shepherd farmer. And so Jesus takes that story, and he switches it to teach the importance of every single person to the heart of God. And he continues the stories from there, discussing the joy of when you found a, a large amount of money that you lost. Could you imagine losing a week's paycheck or two weeks' paycheck? You'd be looking around, and when you found it, you'd celebrate. And another story is told about a lost son. Has anyone ever like lost their kid at the grocery store before? There's a slight panic, but a great sense of relief and celebration when you find them. And Jesus uses these stories to teach his community. He recognizes that things aren't the same as they might have used to have been, and that the truth and the hope of the gospel is desperately needed in his world. So he communicates to his friends, to his family, to his neighbors, and even his adversaries in ways that are easily accessible and understandable. Now the Apostle Paul does the same type of thing. Because of his Jewish background, he would go to the synagogue, the place of worship for the Jewish people. He would speak to them from their Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. He would tell them about how Jesus was the Messiah. And then later he goes to Athens, Greece, and he sees bunch of things, and he was distressed that the city was full of idols. So he changed his meeting space from the synagogue to the place where the leading citizens of Athens met. 
and they took part in philosophical discussions together. So in Acts chapter 17, Paul stands up in this meeting and he says to them, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription, To the unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have even said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. So what did Paul do here? Well, he took the gospel message of Jesus and he communicated it in their cultural language that they understood easily. He even quoted their own poets and writers. Now, Paul wasn't communicating a watered-down version of the gospel, but he did know that he couldn't start relating to the people of Athens without first laying some kind of common ground or point of interest. So he spoke to their spiritual interests. Remember, idols were everywhere, and he pointed out that their, to their own admission that they were missing something when he mentions that there's an idol to an unknown God. And from there he explains to them that the God they were looking for is Jesus. He started where they were and he pointed them to Jesus. That's kind of what our job as a church is, to point people to Jesus. We start where the people are and we are prepared with, with gentleness and respect to discuss their objections and their questions, and then we point them to Jesus, who really is as relevant today as he was 2,000 years ago. And this explains to you a bit of why what we do at Cleary Community Church. As you know, our goal is to help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And in order to do that, we try to understand our culture and actually answer the questions that we believe is being asked. We engage people where they are, and then we point them to who Jesus is and what that means for him. We take questions and we answer them with knowledge, wisdom, insight, and yes, gentleness and respect. We answer and tackle questions like, can we trust the Bible? Yes. Can faith and science get along? Very much, yes. And all the other questions that we face. We as a church do our best to teach and equip each other to have those conversations. We've been handing out a book for a couple years called Tactics by Greg Kokel, all about having these conversations with people. We even have a subscription to a, which is free to anyone who requests it, to Right Now Media, a video database, kind of a Netflix of Christian teachings, which includes hundreds of hours on these types of conversations. 
We're doing everything we can to take the ick out of sharing our faith or even having faith. We want to be able and ready to share and communicate the love of Jesus to the world around us, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our families and communities. So my challenge today for you is simple. What is the one burning question that you have about Jesus, faith, God, Christianity, or the church? What is that one question? And your homework is simple. Spend 15 minutes searching for the answer. You'll be amazed how well you can be supported because you are not the only one asking that question. Let's pray. Lord, I know you see our questions, our fears, our doubts, and our concerns, and you see our anger and our hurt. And I'm thankful that there's nothing hidden from you and there's nothing that we bring to you or experience that drives you away from us. Instead, Lord, you are compassionate and kind and you draw close to those who cry out to you. So I ask that you bring us a depth of understanding and a trust in you. I pray, Lord, that you help us to communicate simply the love that you have for us, to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends and communities. Help us to communicate that, Lord, with gentleness and respect. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next time.